Hello there. It was Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung who coined the term your inner child. And by jingo, are you going to need your inner child today? We've got five scintillating submissions, two pristine new guests, and one prodigiously talented genius room, all for your entertainment in the next 60 minutes as we focus on writing for children. Speaking of the Genius Room, let's take a peek at them right now as they warm up for the show. Okay, yeah, never less than total commitment from the Genius Room. Little rascals, let's meet today's first guest. Co-founder of indie publisher Fermi Books. Yes, the ebullient Ebony Lion. And for the first time on Pop-Ups, please meet award-winning journalist, host of the Art and Business of Writing podcast, is Chris Jones. Absolutely bonza show today, guys. Let's get straight into our first submission. Here we go. It's from... Where's from... Now, look here. Look here. I can tell that's a pseudonym. Tilia Cordata, pull the other lime tree. That's what I say. It's children's, of course. This is a children's show. And it's called Umbolo Valley. This is the blurb from the so-called Tilia. Uh, The story is told from the perspective of the animals, but in a grounded and realistic setting. The animals perform a show for tourists to keep them entertained and at a safe distance. After an accident, the animals have to adapt and come together for one last performance to drive the humans away (gasps) forever. Okay, let me tell you everything I know about our author Tilia, the so-called Tilia. That's, I know what that means. It means lime tree. Um, and quite appropriately, Tilia says, I run my own gardening business and relate my job in my writing. Aspects of nature, environmental themes, and I'm especially interested in people's impact on their world. And I think you'll be particularly interested also in this reading by Robert. Umbolo Valley, by Tillia, read by Robert. His sun rose slowly above the horizon and cast its warm rays over the Umbolo Valley. A light wind blew down the gentle slopes, rustling the tall grasses as it flowed between them. A low rumbling could be heard in the distance, and soon the sound grew nearer. A bus packed full of tourists rolled up one side of a hill and then down slowly into the valley. The driver was accompanied by a guide with a microphone in his hand, announcing himself to his captive audience. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, he said, and welcome to the Umbolo Valley Safari Adventure. Hopefully this morning you will be able to see some of the wildlife that this country has to offer, so keep your eyes peeled and let me know if you spot something before I do. The bus trundled down a well-worn dirt track, deeper into the valley. The tourists with their faces pressed up against the glass of the window, looking out for the slightest movement of anything. They slowed down when they reached an area where the grass was slightly longer, and the guide began looking around in all directions. Ah, he announced, ladies and gentlemen, if you look to your right, you may catch a glimpse of one of the two lions we know of in this area. All eyes were now pinned on the lion that was gently making its way through the long grass, towards an unsuspecting wildebeest not too far away. The lion was crouched slightly, stalking its prey and getting closer and closer to its target. The tourists started to squeal in excitement at the hunt they were about to see. This is a female lion, the guide said quietly over his microphone, as is the case when it comes to the hunting. The male lion will not be far away and will be expecting her to return with a meal for him shortly. Wildebeest are common food for lions, along with zebra and antelope, but they are capable of catching pretty much anything out here. She is not far from pouncing on this wildebeest now, so keep watching. The lion took three more steps and sprung out of the air with great speed and agility. But surprisingly, she missed the wildebeest, which turned and began to run. How did she miss that? someone on the bus said. The lion, however, did not give up and began to give chase. The tourists were in for a real show now. The wildebeest was quick and started to turn towards the bus with the lion just behind. 
The chase flew right in front of the bus and off to the opposite side of the valley. The sudden rush of tourists from one set of windows to the other caused the bus to rock unsteadily. They were just in time to see both of the animals disappear in a tumble into the long grass. I can't see what's happening, one man said. Did she get it? Most likely, said the guide. Now, let's move on further down the valley and see what else we can find. The bus moved on as the passengers sat themselves back in their seats, but it wasn't long before one of them had spotted something else. Look over there, said a woman. What are those? The guide looked in the direction to which the woman was pointing as the bus came to a stop again. Three ostriches stood under the shade of an umbrella tree. Two of them had their heads buried in the ground, whilst a third was pecking at the bark of the tree, unaware of the long black length and coiling behind its head. Okay, so let's go straight to the genius room first of all and see what they're saying. And my goodness gracious me, they are saying a lot. Um, Galadriel said a lot of lot of great things actually that I think I agree almost all, all with. Uh, too many adverbs. <laughs> Who's the protagonist? Yeah, several people have said that. We don't really have any, anyone to um, to to hook into. Kate says needs needs to hit the ground running for lower uh, middle grade. Um, I can't see this appealing to my eight-year-old, says Galadriel, too telling. Needs action, says Barbara US, uh, versus setting at the outset. And Eva says, okay, tone getting better, but the opening was too adult. And I think that was the sentiment that was generally reflected. James says that. Eight to twelve, got to grab their attention right away. Um, Vagabond says, feels a bit like a lesson on wildlife at the moment, rather than a story. Let's ask our children's storybook publisher. What reactions did you have to that, Ebony? Um, so initially, actually, quite similar to the genius room. So I thought um, I did think this was eight to twelve, and I I just thought it was just a bit too old. Um, thinking about my children um, would be bored with the entrance to this, just because they want to be captivated and they need it to grab them straight away. Yeah. Um, too wordy um wasn't sure who the protagonist was or was going to be and i think that children would just get a bit lost at that age group um yeah. they don't have high attention spans and they need something to kind of you know keep them entertained so it kind of read like it was aiming for a bit older were my initial thoughts for the beginning yeah yeah it did and it? It, was, it was almost felt like writing for adults actually vagabond says needs needs a character galadriel needs more drama something something for us to hook into uh, pamela joe i agree hannah kids will have been tourists at some time who are they supposed to identify with and matt says lots happening but uh, nothing happening what did you think there, yeah. chris yeah i was i was waiting for something to unfold that did not unfold yeah um I, I didn't feel like the because the, the blurb it talked about like the personification of characters but i didn't get that grasp i didn't get that either i didn't feel like the characters mm. were personified at all mm. um and like like some of the others in the genius room said i couldn't i couldn't tell who the focal point was in that in that particular uh passage i didn't know was i out of focus on the animals was i out of focus on the what was happening in the tree so i couldn't find a place to anchor myself as a reader yeah. So I do, and I do, I do agree that it was a little bit old for that age group. It felt like yeah. a middle grade read or higher. Yeah. So yeah. the the basic idea, though, let's. I mean, uh, you know, I, one of my weaknesses, my many weaknesses, is I, I get excessively enthused by ideas, and it's not always the the execution isn't always there. But the basic idea, what do you think of that? The idea that all the animals get together to put on a show for the humans who go through, um, but eventually they they succeed in driving the humans out of their own habitat. I mean, that's kind of a a fairly good hook, isn't it? Or, or what do you think? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it felt that that almost felt like a mashup between Madagascar and Animal Farm. Ah. <laughs> I think you've nailed it. <laughs> oh, yes, actually, you're right. Yes, it is. Yes, all right, Virginia. Okay, so let's look at the numbers. Uh, I'll just check to see the voting's going okay. Um, have you got to press the uh, the vote button, Ebony, please? Um, that's the the send button or something like that and yeah same with you Chris actually so let's look at the 
genius room thank you joseph from youtube if you're on youtube live now we're live obviously as a whole point anything can happen uh do give us your thoughts and comments please really really much appreciated and the authors in particular because what you're getting here basically is a slice through the reader's brain in real time you don't get that anywhere else um so let's let's do the best we can so that's not it's not anything close uh tilia here we go it keeps on going up keeps on climbing up um we've only got my vote in we've only got the genius rooms vote in ebony and chris have yet to get processed through the system so don't worry about that too much we'll we'll sort that out have you pressed the button there chris no i'm looking for where okay have you got the uh, the vote page up there not sure we have let's just see if ebony's got the vote page this is this is this is the problem with having fresh meat on lex you shouldn't have said that you've cursed it um <laughs> okay so yeah i'm i think what we're going to do is just have a have a little pause for a moment here probably we're going to um edit this so what you've done there ebony is you voted on the wrong one the very last one and when that happens in the show people always accuse us of, of rigging it and fixing it but actually what I'm i can sorry, do, that's me. all right what i'm what i'm going to do in front of everyone's eyes here so there's no no jiggery pokery going on i've actually zeroed that out so if you've got up to submission number one yeah and put put those stars in from one to five yep. if you got it and then press press the uh, the send button same with yep, you chris same with you chris if you can uh i don't know if you've got the vote page open actually yep. have you got the yeah, i'm getting i'm working on, working on getting up right now fantastic okay so submission one yeah submission one. Five, yeah title okay. blurb craft and bang it's going very tense isn't it it normally gets this tense at the end of the show the first submission i don't know what we're going to do oxygen cylinders possibly uh rebecca uh, you don't vote actually on youtube the genius room votes and look we've got we've got a fantastic vote there from chris we've got a fantastic vote in as well from ebony which means we do have a final number for you tilia you got a 51 not too bad not too bad let's move on to our second submission of the day here we go Submission number two comes from Libby Libby Hay. It's Honey and the Great Venetian Escape. Children's picture book, historical fiction, QR code there, guys. Each time you send a submission, please send us a, a, a web link because we can turn that automatically into a QR code and people can scan it and go to whichever website that you want to send them to. It might be an Amazon page, might be your blog, who knows what, it can be anything you want. This is Libby's blurb. Hatched in Mansfield, it's not until she has molted her feathers away that Honey discovers she has the ability to time travel. However, she has no control over where or when she will wake up. One morning, she finds herself in the cell of the famous explorer Casanova. Famous explorer? I don't, I don't think he's famous in my book. My goodness me. Um, who has been imprisoned in the Doge's Palace in Venice over his extravagant and selfish lifestyle, and a few other things too, I think. Um, hunched over in a cell with a ceiling lower than himself, Casanova expresses his want to be free and to become a better person. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm very pleased. It's never too late, is it? Um, yeah, <laughs> let me tell you about, <laughs> let me tell you about uh, Libby. I'm a debut writer who graduated from the University of Melbourne. Oh, Australia with a Bachelor of Arts and Master of Creative Writing, Publishing and Editing in 2020. I write my own blog, which I think is that uh, link, libbyhay.com, and have written articles for publications such as Chariot Journal and Farago Magazine. I studied Renaissance history in Venice, Italy, lucky you, uh, whilst at university, and this topic has become a passion of mine. I'm currently working as a nanny in London which has given me the ability to read many children's books indeed yeah and discover different ways in which authors write for a younger audience well you sound fully committed don't you at least and uh, the least we can do is a fully committed reading from emily honey in the great venetian escape by libby read by emily 
On a hot summer's morning, near a pond just outside Mansfield, Honey was hatched. At first, Honey did not realise she was different from the other ducklings. She had the same brown feathers, the same pointy beak, and the same webbed feet. One morning, soon after she had moulted her baby feathers, Honey awoke in an unfamiliar place far away from her nest. There was no pond, no other ducks to be seen. Instead, there were noisy cars whizzing by, people rushing back and forth, and thick smoke rising from tall buildings. Frightened, she hid under a bridge until the sun went down and fell asleep. The next day she found herself in a warm and humid jungle. Three explorers were thrashing through the ferns, using their binoculars to look at the chimpanzees swinging in the trees. Whilst quietly following the explorers, Honey thought to herself, Why do I keep finding myself in these strange places? That night, Honey followed the explorers until they walked past a hollow tree where she nested for the evening. I wonder where I will wake up tomorrow, she thought, as she drifted off to sleep. The next day she opened her eyes to a dark and damp room. A startled man wearing nothing but a loose grey nightshirt was sitting up on his bed, looking at Honey. Hello, my name is Honey. Who are you? Where am I? Stunned, the haggard man asked if she were really talking, or if it were a dream. Of course I'm talking. All ducks can. Really? Amazing. Well, I am Giacomo, but everyone calls me by my last name, Casanova. You're in the palace prison, in Venice. Honey was overjoyed. She had not been to Europe before. Daydreams of her swimming through the canals, eating fish at the market, and going to a masquerade ball filled her mind. Oh, what fun she was going to have. That's amazing, she exclaimed. Why are you in this scary room then? We should be outside exploring. Alas, I cannot. The council has imprisoned me. You see, I am an explorer, and last year the council imprisoned me here without a trial. I was given no reason as to my arrest. However, I do believe it is because of my extravagant lifestyle. I have been greedy, little duck, but when I get out of here, I promise I will do more to help others and think less about myself. Honey felt sad as she watched Casanova pour himself some of the dirty water in the jug next to the window. He was taller than the ceiling, so he had to walk to the window bending forwards. You can leave though, little duck. You are small enough to fit through the window. Go and explore my hometown for me. Oh, how I miss it. Honey flew up onto the ledge of the window as Casanova opened it for her. Thank you, Casanova, for your help. As she was about to fly out and investigate the city, she looked back at Casanova, hunched over in his cell, and felt sorry for him. She could not leave him behind in this sad little room. I'm going to get you out of here, Casanova. I promise. That is so thoughtful, little duck, but no person has ever escaped from here. It's no use. You will, and I will get you out before this day ends. That same night, the Doge of Venice was throwing a large party at his palace. Hundreds of lords and ladies came in their finest clothes. Honey decided that she could use this as a distraction while she hatched her plan. When the party began and the guests started to arrive, she flew down to the room below Casanova's cell and opened the window with her beak. It led her into a large, empty room with rows of chairs lining the walls. Honey flew up to the roof and started to peck at it. Chipping through the ceiling, she made a hole in the floor of Casanova's cell. You did it, little duck. Can you make it any bigger so I can fit through? Okay, so this is about Casanova and a duck. Casanova and a duck, you had that right. I love the idea, actually. Casanova and duck. I mean, what's not to like? Let's have a look at the genius room. Um, too much going on the blurb, uh, says James. Focus on one character. Yeah, it was it was a fulsome blurb. Um, Andy, Andy is on the blurb. Blurb strays from one character focus to a second. The first sentence is confusing. I give it some tinkering, Libby. Uh, and then several people, uh, writers so and various other people, have co- uh, commented on the formatting, which is absolutely bizarre, actually. We have to zero that out of the equation. But honestly, uh, that formatting is just the wackiest thing I've seen. Stacy says, I think we should know that Honey is a duck in the blurb. I thought perhaps she was a fairy at first. Eva says, nice children-friendly language. Vagabond seems like the text describes what's in the pictures. Missed opportunity. Johnny, always difficult to assess without the pictures, but the prose sounds quite nice. And Jeff says, "Is that, yeah, he's on uh, by the page. So 
so, oh gosh there's so many good comments here um I, kate says i rather like the premise casanova and a duck I, i'm not the only one but um let's see what chris thought you know it was fun i thought that was really fun uh it was very, it was very visual like i could follow it very well uh, yeah. i was engaged in the story the entire time i mean there were some holes in the story you know of course we go from hatching to losing feathers and then we go to lifting up the the windows to coming back with a key that we don't know how she acquired but apart from that it was it was, it was fun um i agree with the genius room i definitely think that the blurb was too busy uh and she yeah she needs to pare that down a little bit but apart from that uh, even without the pictures, I was able to get a good visual, and I, I could I can imagine reading that to my six-year-old daughter. I think she would just get a kick out of it. I, I know, and, yeah. yeah. It's brought out my inner child, and I really want to know what happens. Although I I do agree with you, actually, Chris. I mean, you know, she's pecking through the ceiling, right? I mean, no, come on, yeah. no ducks. No, no, it's not. It's not going to really happen. But there, there again, Casanova and a duck. Is that really going to happen? I don't know. Yeah, and, and, you and, think? I think, and I think the lesson the lesson of being a better person. I, I think that resonates too. Like I want to be a better person. I think that resonates with children. Yes. Oh, and a better duck as well. To learn. Yeah, yes. yeah, learn hard concepts. I like exactly. it. Exactly. So this is this is absolutely wacky. Way off uh, left field. What did you think, Emily? <laughs> um, I, well, the blurb I thought was far too long. A little bit yeah. confusing, actually. I didn't really know where it was going, so that needs yeah. to be right back. Then I was slightly confused because I thought it was a picture book, and not, this just, I, I kind of thought it lent itself more to a, an early chapter book. And if it yeah. is an early chapter book, I think it'd be great. Um, with some work on like the development, um, my six-year-old would, would absolutely love this story. Um, you know, it's a duck and it's Casanova. That's exactly, <laughs> I know. It does need development. You're absolutely, you're spot yes. on. I think it does yes. need some yeah. development. But the concept yeah. is is just lovable, the isn't concept. it? Really, it's the concept is great. And I really enjoyed the writing as well. So yeah, I'm I'm yeah I'm a fan of this. Just Good. needs a little bit of work. But, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, let's look at the numbers. To press your buttons. Uh, Chris and Ebony, please. And we got a comment from YouTube. Premise is fun and delightful, says Joseph. I completely agree, too. I mean, you've got to find a publisher who, who's got the same weird sense of humour that I've got and Chris has got and Ebony has got. But they, they do exist. And if you find someone like that, then I think, you know, you could be really... Uh, cooking with gas so the numbers are look chris has given you five stars out of five 100 for commercial potential which is buying you 64 at the moment it could go up even more as the genius room makes up its mind while the uh, the laggards in the genius room and the non of course um are doing that i think we should um see what's going on for ebony so here we are ebony kickstarters all the the rage at the moment for writers um, yeah. Yeah. How many millions <laughs> did you make this week? We didn't make millions, but <laughs> um, but I think that from my point of view, it's been great to see Kickstarter get the kind of spotlight that I think it deserves. Yeah. Um, because it gives self-published authors or indies, um, it gives them a great opportunity and a great platform to just kind of leverage community support. Um, mm. This campaign that we're in the midst of at the moment is our third campaign. And Kickstarter has really, you know, it's been a lifeline for us completely. Yeah, yeah. it's absolutely brilliant. Isn't it? I mean, just let's look at that again, because you've only got how long? How, oh, well, no, no, we've got, we got another one. We've got another one. Here we go. There yeah. you go. Isn't that fantastic? Uh, how much longer have you got to go on that? So we've got four days. Um, so okay. it finishes on Friday. We did a yeah. short campaign this time, so three weeks, whereas we've traditionally done a month, which is the, recommend, the recommended amount. Right. Um, and this is um, for printing. So we want to be able to raise the money for printing and then to have somewhat of a PR campaign for the book. Yes. Uh, because that's the thing that I think self-published authors and indies traditionally um, are on the back foot with because it's, you know, it's expensive to run marketing campaigns. Absolutely, and yeah. Just just about the, uh, the Kickstarter, I mean, do you know where the money comes from? Is it from people who already know you, know your books like you? Or is it just out of, you know, that enormous universe out there that is Kickstarter? Yeah, so this is the interesting thing. It's not scientific, but um, I would guesstimate that we, we get about 50% um, each time from our own community mm. and about 50% is brought in from Kickstarter. So you can right. look at the analytics and you can yeah. see from which page they've backed from on Kickstarter. 
Um, so the key is you really want early support because then Kickstarter push you more on the platform. Yeah. Um, you get about 50%, which is, is great because they have a worldwide... It's, it's the best thing. It's the best yeah. thing, actually, especially since author advances are tumbling. Let's talk about that and traditional publishing and how you came to start For Me Books. How long have you been going now? So um, since the beginning of 2020 um, hmm. was where my partner Curtis self-published uh, later which is the first book which is this one yeah one, yeah um and this book is just a really sweet story about um stay-at-home dad a mum that goes to work young children at home just waiting for mum um just yeah. a, the traditional day in the life of, of our life at the time you know i was commuting into central london every day yeah um and we well they laced in some caribbean culture some afro-caribbean culture in terms of the greetings that were on each page. Um, and people just really reacted well to it. Um, they, you know, we know that there's a lack of um, representation with black main characters and protagonists in children's literature, but also, you know, gender roles are very traditional in picture yeah. books as well. They are, and not so yeah, much. absolutely. They yeah. Have, and they do look after their children and they hoover. And they do housework and they cook, and I think that should be normalised. So, so you're, I mean, you're a total entrepreneur. You're obviously a complete go-getter, but uh, you know, it's kind of the obvious thing in any case for you to, I guess, you know, start a publishing company. But did you ever um, think about going the traditional route and sort of signing it into the the usual suspects, or did you just thought, think, I'm, I'm not going to bother? No. So I, I'm, I'm actually because I usually do most of the interviews. Um, and I'm always asked that question, actually, yeah. Curtis, why to get later traditionally published? And the answer is no. Um, I actually didn't know about the book. It was a surprise. So they wrote the book, um, commissioned the illustrator, did everything. I only found out about the book when the book was complete. Oh, wow. So at that point, they'd only written it um, for family. So there yeah. was no kind of commercial element to it from the start, um, which is interesting because obviously mm. it does have value but that wasn't planned from the from the beginning um but no curtis didn't try to um submit um or get it published traditionally it was that's quite different done. actually it's quite different to the way things were even just five years ago actually yeah. it's quite interesting how things have changed i just want to ask um, chris this i mean you know yeah. this is becoming more and more sort of mainstream and more of a typical story isn't it i mean you're, you're a, a, an observer and a, an advisor in the publishing business you know from your perspective especially uh, from from the states so do you see this happening more and more yeah i think uh well self-publishing gives people a lot more flexibility mm. uh, i think people and i think people do it simply because it's it's the, it's the low-hanging fruit it's an easy way to get in it's an easy way to get a, to get a name for yourself to develop a it's almost like a journalist when you uh when you first start freelance you freelance write your way to developing a name for yourself you have to have a body of work and i think it's an easy way to get a body of work done pretty quickly mm. and, it, and it gives you an introduction into the publishing business so you understand the rigors of it because yeah some people can handle it some people they really can't yeah yeah and i mean would you because a lot of authors most authors really don't really want to get involved in the the, the nitty-gritty of the business aspect they, they just want to write you know writing is hard they enough don't. in any case you know they, so. they don't and i think and i think and i think that's where hybrid you know if you, if you want to do the hybrid route you can do the hybrid route you can try to you can try to go full full publisher it, it all yeah. depends on like i think i think it all boils down to your objectives what do yeah. you want your book to do where do you want it to go yeah yeah cool excellent we're going to speak to chris more in just a second until uh before then we have one more submission submission number three it's from adrian adrian so i know adrian's around there he's around there somewhere in the uh in the genius room or on youtube i've seen the name lower mg fantasy comedy animal fiction it's called the ground world heroes and this is adrian's blurb the ground world heroes is a middle grade fantasy comedy novel for readers aged seven to ten and would be a great read aloud for families or classrooms it has slight humor well, <laughs> people normally say it has enormous amounts of humor it has slight humor and could be compared to einstein the penguin by iona rangeley and you're a bad man mr gum by andy stanton classics both of them let me tell everybody about you, Adrian. Um, I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, you say. I've written three books, one picture book, one early reader, and one middle grade. I've read numerous children's books, and I've always been around children. And this is a fabulous reading from John. Ground World Heroes 
by Adrian So. Read by John. Chaos, Chapter 1. Sounds of drilling, scraping and dumping echoed in the long tunnels that ran through the loamy earth. The citizens of Soyland jolted with fear. Moles, shrews and other citizens with tapered claws clung to the dirt walls. Speedy citizens like rabbits and prairie dogs ran between mud alleys and the streets while others yelled for help. Alarms rang. Loud sirens flashed and beeped. But from above, even louder sounds of scraping and dumping occurred. It was a metal claw, scraping away bits of dirt and ceiling. Everyone looked up at where the sounds came from. Massive amounts of debris cascaded down like an avalanche, leaving a big hole in the ceiling of soil land. A large piece struck the skull of a young badger rushing by with her family. The young badger fell down. Help! Our daughter was hurt, cried the mother. Nearby, a furry mole called Benjamin patted away the dust on his shirt with the text Mole Digger Team and his name embroidered over it and jumped down from the wall he was clinging to. He and a dozen other citizens witnessed the accident. Some citizens ran away, pretending nothing had happened. Others gave first aid, but Benjamin just screeched in panic with the parents. The daughter slowly raised her head, pressing one paw over the wound and said, I think I'm okay. Another clump of debris and soil poured down from the ceiling. The parents shielded their wounded daughter's body with a jacket. Fix the ceiling, it's going to hurt our daughter again, screamed the father at the top of his voice. Everyone around agreed with him. They gathered dried leaves, stones, mud, sand and other materials they could find. I better go before the debris hits me, since no one is watching me now. Maybe I should go, Benjamin thought, slowly weaving himself out of this sweaty crowd of citizens with large chunks of rock and stone on their backs. Hey, where are you going? Come and help, said the wounded badger's dad, poking Benjamin by the shoulder. On your shirt it says you're a member of the mole digger team, so you must be good at building. For the sake of my daughter, come and help, please. Sorry, sir, I'm only a digger, not a builder. I don't know how I can help. I'm useless, said Benjamin, looking down. Of course you're not useless. You can help. Do you like weightlifting? The citizens stacked themselves with the tallest and heaviest at the bottom. Benjamin was holding a small mouse who was at the top of the stack. The mouse squashed as many materials as he could hold onto the gaps of the ceiling. At one point, the mouse stumbled and was about to fall. Benjamin clutched the mouse's legs tight, preventing him from falling. After a few rounds of stuffing, the gaps were blocked completely. Thank you for holding me, said the mouse. Without you, I would just fall off and shatter to pieces. Thank you. Benjamin blushed. Right behind Benjamin, a gigantic metal claw of a yellow monster scraped away an enormous chunk of the canopy. A series of gaps emerged. Large shadows appeared and shaded the ground. The shadows came from a couple of pinkish tanned skinned giants above ground. Their blue eyes and grim faces peered in, giving the citizens the shivers. Humans! The fat and chunky giants! shouted the badger, the biggest citizen in soil land. And straight to the genius room, I think. Yes. Uh, where um, the wisdom just overfloweth, really. Um, Barbara's talking Schweizerdeutsch. I don't, I, I'm not good enough to understand that. So <laughs> uh, maybe you translate. You see, they're so clever. They have to speak in strange dialects. Um, nice title, says Martin. Um, a lot of comments about the blurb there, Adrian. People don't uh, correctly say it. it's not really a blurb, actually. Um, Kate says, recommend light-hearted. Yeah, good advice, instead of slight humour. I think that's absolutely right. James is not sure about the title. Um, Eva says, too intellectualised for children, not grabbing. And James echoes that. It seems a bit, a bit high reading, he says, for seven-year-olds. And Martin says, soil land, a theme park for worms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, then it has charm says Annie but not sure if the language is middle grade and I think Annie's also bang on the money for me she says start with Benjamin we need to get into his head right away what did you think there Ebony um, yeah I don't know actually um I was a little bit it was it was slightly it was slightly engaging I've put I was a little bit confused actually so i did put slightly confusing mm. um so I thought it was grabbing me it then kind of lost me so i was slightly confused by mm. it but i think 
kind of gave me Fraggle Rock vibes a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so it did. So I definitely think there's something there. Um, I just wasn't hooked straight away. So I looked and this is kind of seven to ten. Um, and maybe the opposite from what I said before, maybe this could be a little bit younger. I'm not quite sure. Um, but I do like the idea. Um, I like the title. Um, but I think either go younger or maybe older. It just wasn't it just wasn't hooking me, but it had some really nice ideas in there, I thought. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Chris, please. Yeah, I think uh, starting from the blurb, like it's either comedy or slight humor, but you got to pick one. Because when I think comedy, I'm thinking laugh out loud versus slight humor, which I think is a little chuckle. So I think you kind of got to figure out where we're going with that. Um, as far as the the book goes, I think you need to, you have to open up with the accident. I think it took too yeah. long to get there. So you have to open you have to open with the uh, with the action. Um, you know, the title is called Chaos. Give me the chaos right off the bat. Tell me why it's why we're in chaos. Um, and a lot and a lot more show don't tell. Show me the emotions. Don't tell me the emotions. There's a whole lot of telling there and a lot of not showing. So do a lot yeah. more show, a lot less tell. Um, but I think I feel like it was a little over descriptive, and it made the narrative uh, it made the narrative chuck along a little slower than it should have. But I do think I think it has I think it has some merit. I think it just needs some work because I think the characters yeah. probably are going to be lovable at some point. I think it's going to work. But yeah, I think just working out those little kinks of getting me to get engaged with the action faster. Yeah, there, there is. I mean, there is action. I I. I I felt just like Ebony. I thought it was confusing action, and I didn't really identify with anybody particularly. Which I think Annie's advice is so sound. Actually, we just got we just got to start caring. Really, if we don't care, we're not going to um, not going to stick around. Um, now then, let's look at the numbers. And yeah, we've got uh, okay. So, Ebony, you need to push the button, please. And see. Chris has got to push his button as well. This is what this is what happened the first time as you get nagged until you do push the button. And the numbers are going up all the time for you, Adrian. I've uh, got Chris's vote yet to come in. You've got 39 so far. It's, it's moving up. 49 will be over 50 in a moment, I'm sure. Um, I hope that was useful for you, Adrian, actually. No, I know you're, you're with us live. You know what you can do? Because we, we review your manuscript. And we make lots and lots of comments and suggestions, and obviously you've got the genius room there, which is absolutely unique. You can review us too. You can, you know, you can say what you think about us. I mean, how how was it for you? That's what we want to know. And while you're doing that, I'm going to find out more about Chris. Now, I met Chris. Uh, well, not literally, but uh, in an audio way, uh, when I appeared on his podcast, The Art and Business of Writing, which has recently hit 100 episodes. Congratulations. Uh, great achievement, actually, for any show. Chris, what first moved you to get um, this most excellent podcast going? You know, I I've just I love helping writers, and I love finding ways to help writers help themselves. And so that's what I started. That's why I started the podcast. I uh, felt like one of the the things that was lacking was helping on the, the marketing side, helping the business side of writers. I feel like writers, mm -hmm. know, they know they can write for the most part. They have a gift. They, they recognize that ability, but the writing totally, I mean, sorry, the, the business side completely freaks them out uh, and being able to do both sides. So I try to do my best to present the business side a lot more than most writing podcasts do. So we look for PR people. We look for people who do social media marketing, people who do just various aspects of promotion to help writers do their best yes. and be their best. Yeah, and you've also like, got a book there too. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to write a book, and you spend all this time writing a book. You wanted to do something apart from just sitting on Amazon. You cannot rely on Amazon or Barnes and Noble those places. They're not going to do anything with your book. Would just be a, a a catalog for you. So you've got to figure out how do I market my book and who do I get it to. And so that was the purpose yeah. of developing the podcast. And you've also got to be um, a bit of a self-starter, which a lot of lot of we saying a lot of writers aren't. And one one of the nice things about your podcast is not particularly short. But it's quite inspirational. And, you know, you can sort of listen to it, you know, Friday night or something like that, and you feel better afterwards, um, which I think is, is part, of, part of the, you know, the struggle for writers, actually, after you know, a hard day at the coalface, then, you know, to sort of have to sit down and do your social media or something like that. You do need somebody else on your team. And I think your podcast does that incredibly well. Uh, you've got a Thank book you. as well uh, with, with the same title, haven't you? The Art I do, yeah. Of writing. Yep, and it's, it's, a, it's kind of in the same vein. It's divided into two. So the first half is really about just 
writing life, you know, developing the confidence to write, getting focused mm -hmm. on writing, uh, just the tools that you may want to consider when you write, just all the all the pre-writing stuff. And then the second half of the book is the marketing side, just developing a website, why you need it, developing all your marketing, uh, a lot of your marketing collateral, why you need it, and then how to hit the ground running. So it's really just a quick primer on just, uh, you know, how to how to get started as a writer. Yeah. Nothing too deep, so nothing too, nothing too long or lengthy, but yeah. Do you think these are? I mean, the, these are complicated times for for writers. It, it was always really simple in the past. It was very linear. If you wanted to get published, you'd, you know, had to speak to somebody like me, who, if they took you on, then were trying to sell it to to a publisher, and the publisher would eventually try to sell it to the publishing trade, and so it go down down the line. Really simple, easy to understand. And these days, almost every every week, there's a sort of different route to market. Kickstarter suddenly has come from nowhere really to be a significant influence, but it seems to be so much more complicated. Do you think that that's, you know, um, do you think these are good times for writers or just more confusing? No, I, it, it depends. Like you said, being a self-starter is everything, but I think, you know, you have to treat it like a job at this point. You have to treat it like an entrepreneurial endeavor. Like your, mm. your book is your business, how mm. you're handling yourself as a business, everything yeah. about that is a business. And so you have yeah. to look at yourself as, this is this is my business. I am a publisher, and because once you once you've written the book, you're no longer an author. Now I'm the publisher. Now I'm the yes. promotional person. Now I'm all yes. those things. But being an author, I'm no longer an author at that point. Now I'm the front, yeah. the point person. Yeah. And so getting comfortable being being comfortable selling yourself is is huge. And you know if you've written something of value, then people then you should feel like people want it. That you hit the nail on the head there, because a lot of writers, I would say probably the majority of writers are not comfortable doing that at all and you know one of the reasons they are writers they they they, they write these words and they, those words go out and people can read those words but they don't actually engage with their their readers they tend to be on the introverted uh, end of the scale so what's your your best advice to to writers like that to sort of to bring them out of their shell a little bit and start to sing and dance yeah, I think for introverted writers, it's podcast, the easy way. Podcasts, are, they're not videos. They're not, I mean, you know, they're yeah. audio-based. And so you get a chance to talk to anybody you want. You kind of pick the podcast you want to go on. You pitch the shows you want to go on. So I think yeah. starting there really is helpful for a lot of writers because uh, it, takes, it takes away that fear factor of being in person with people. It does, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, it helps yeah. you. It helps you to hone. It helps you to hone in as a public speaker too. You get more comfortable speaking about your book, talking about the topics and ideas in your book. And then by mm. the time you've done a few podcasts and got them under your belt, then you yeah. can progress to something else. Yeah. So have you got any, in between making uh, the, this epic series of podcasts, have you got any, <laughs> any more books you're going to be writing personally? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of got two different synopsis, you know, two different synopsis on my desk that I'm working with. Trying to decide which one I want to work on first. I'm going to take a little bit of a hiatus from podcasting for a while to focus on writing because it's been a while since I've written a book. You know, well, stuff yeah. collaborated on books, and so it's, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to dive back in. So I'm gonna take a little time off from serving yeah. writers to doing some writing myself. You've probably got about a month's worth of podcasts. If anybody uh, new <laughs> wants to to listen to, there's at least a month's worth of solid listening to to get through. So I think I think you're allowed to have a little break. Um, that's 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 brilliant, actually. Let's have a look at submission number four. Submission number four is called The Reality Coder. It's from Ella. Ella Mishni. Hello, Ella. It's, it's middle grade fantasy. And this is Ella's blurb. In a world where hackers edit the laws of physics, using a magical programming language, 11-year-old computer techie Danielle must destroy a computer virus that's demolishing parts of the universe. I'll tell everybody about Ella. When I was a little girl, my mother would tell me that engineering is not for girls. And here I am, a software engineer working for a medical company still trying to prove her wrong. Currently, there's a staggering number of five women and 35 men in the engineering department and I observed a similar division when I was in college. I hope my book will inspire young girls to study computer science and excel, smallly, not capitally, because there's Microsoft, in this field. And one thing that is going to excel in this field is a reading by Hannah. The Reality Coder by Ella, read by Hannah. Chapter 1. Danielle could hack into her neighbor's home stereo system in less than a minute. She leaned forward, clammy fingers dancing over the keyboard. 
as her left-hand monitor continued to display the code she'd injected into her neighbor's smart TV's built-in webcam. The right exhibited data from the indoor camera and robotic vacuum cleaner. In the next room, Danielle's baby brother, David, wailed. Shh, they're going to turn off the music soon, her mother's voice pleaded over the screaming toddler. Even after Danielle had mustered enough courage to knock on Flavia's door, complaining that the loud music kept her brother awake, the bass continued to shake the walls. Danielle's classmate, Flavia, rolled her eyes when she opened her apartment door, and before Danielle could voice her complaints, Flavia pouted at her. Mom said I could only invite 15 friends over, she said before slamming the door in her face. Danielle heard their muffled voices and snarky laughter as Flavia no doubt told the story to their classmates of how Danielle tried to invite herself over. Seeing her classmates shimmying to the electrified music in Flavia's living room made her feel like a total loser. Even the most unpopular kids had been invited. Back in her room, Danielle hit enter. The walls stopped vibrating. The living room camera captured five kids scratching their heads, shrugging, and raising questioning eyebrows at their hostess. Their surprised expressions became terrified yelps when the vacuum cleaner left its docking station and glided across the living room, joining the TV which flickered on its own accord. Danielle slouched in her swivel chair and punched the air. Yes! But then Flavia's father strode into the frame. He said something to the guests, his words accompanied with reassuring hand gestures, and marched towards the exit. Someone knocked on Danielle's door and her mother's footfalls raced across the apartment. Trying to eavesdrop on their conversation, she only heard, Oh, hello, how are... Her mother's voice was cut short as a muffled, angry man interrupted her. Yes, I know it's your daughter's birthday, but Danielle wouldn't. What do you mean the vacuum moved on its own accord? Of course that's not. I see. I'll speak with her now. This won't happen again. We're all very sorry. The door slammed and Danielle's mother sighed before quick footsteps shuffled across the apartment towards Danielle's bedroom. The door opened, and there, wearing a Merlot sweatshirt matching the colour of her pixie-cut hair, stood her mother, holding David in her arms. Why is Rossi's internet not working? Why did the vacuum cleaner start working without anyone turning it on? I don't know, Danielle drawled, swiveling side to side in her office chair. Her mother waved a finger at her. Stop lying to me. Flavia's father just told me you came by 20 minutes ago and asked them to be quiet. Now their internet's not working. They're not stupid, you know. What's going on in here? I have no idea. What Dania really wanted to say was, Remember that time Flavia dumped a bucket of paint on my head and I came home with blue hair? Remember a week later she came over asking for help because she accidentally downloaded some bug that trashed her phone. She allowed me to install a program on her phone to remotely control it in case she travels somewhere and her phone got broken again, which is why I left that back door into her phone wide open. For a while, her mother stood there blinking. Her thick lips parted and she said, you hacked into their electrical devices. Davy couldn't sleep, Danielle said. There was no point in lying anymore. How can you be on their side? Her mother took off her red-rimmed glasses and wiped them on the edge of her sweatshirt, a gesture indicating she was beyond irritated. I'm not on their side. Hacking into someone's electrical devices is criminal. Yeah, but it's also good fun, right? Isn't it? Yes, it is. Let's see how their numbers are looking before we go to the genius room for their reaction. We're on submission number four now. Um, and it looks like actually Libby, yeah, you're you've got a a good number there, sixty-five. Not impregnable, not impossible to beat that, but pretty good so far. And we've got 
Uh, just so I can see the bottom there, we've got some uh, numbers coming in already for the final submission, which should not happen. So I am going to zero those out, and um, whoever's voting in advance, please don't do that. It doesn't help at all, actually. In fact, because we do zero them out, it actually works against the interest of whoever you're trying to support. So please don't do that at all. Uh, let's look at the genius room and see what they say. And I've noted right at the beginning, they really like this blurb, actually. Lots and lots of people say, good blurb, like the blurb, says Michelle, and the title. Uh, Andy picks up, in a world, in a world. I can't say that, but he picks that, yeah, definitely. Kate says, love that opening line. And she also read my mind. She's just reading Ready Player One. I was thinking that too. Um, Chris, does this float your boat? You know what? I loved the blurb. Like the blurb to me was like Gen Zlicious. It was like completely everything you wanted in a book at this particular stage. I thought it was thought the, that was fantastic. I like the title, the reality coder. Love those two pieces. Yeah. Once we got into the book, it got a little dicey. Yeah. Um, I love I love the opening, but the but for me, here's the sticking point with the very first sentence was stereo system makes me think 1990. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no, there's no hacking. Oh, they're talking about my era now, Chris. I mean, you know, this is, this is my time. <laughs> yeah. So that, that, to me, that was that made a slight disconnect because you can't really hack those. But at any rate, we'll, we'll, we'll play along. Um, I thought that uh, beyond that, yeah, it was a little difficult to follow because how did I, I don't know how everybody knows she hacks. Because as a, as a teenage kid, I would like that's like a secretive thing between me and my friend. My friends know I hack. It's a great party joke but my parents don't know I hack, and how do the neighbors know she hacks? Yeah. You know, your daughter yeah. get, you know, hacked into my stuff and she turned off my electricity, so, but yeah, I, there's, I can't figure out that part. So I think, I think some of the people in the genius room are right, a tighter rewrite, kind of refocusing it. Um, and then the idea of Merlot, like I, my kids yeah. are my, Merlot, I know what Merlot is, I drink, I can drink Merlot, but I, you know, my kids won't yeah. drink the color. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 it's funny, that jumped out for several people actually, I, I thought that too. But, what do you reckon then, yeah. Abney? So I loved the blurb, absolutely loved the blurb. I thought it was short, it was catchy, it was modern, it was engaging. I know that my eldest, my daughter would absolutely go for that. So loved the blurb, loved the title. Um, I thought the first sentence was great, apart from, as Chris said, the stereo system. Because, you know, it, <laughs> it could have just been some like interlink, the light, the system, anything, but the stereo system, kind of aged it slightly mm. um i did think that it could it could have been a little bit tighter but i thought i i really liked it i thought it was quite it was engaging um i think already um yeah, yeah i don't know how everyone kind of knows that she hacks because you know children of that age are just traditionally secretive then no one's going to know that this is <laughs> especially if you know as we're led to believe she's the unpopular child um, and um, I don't know whether we're leaning towards not liking the parents, um, if that was the writer's aim, but kind of just believing um, the friend's dad straight away. And, you know, it didn't really, I wasn't invested in that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I thought it could be great concept. Mm -hmm. I think that's the general sentiment, actually. And uh, Annie says, I had a wee bottle of Merlot last night. Hmm. Andy <laughs> says, and now you started another. Hmm. See, this is what happens in the genius room. Uh, let's look at the numbers. And Chris has, has yet to vote. Chris has yet to vote. I'm coming. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. The tension is mounting. We should have a little, little noise now. Just wait for it to get through the system. See where it goes to. Remember, sixty-five is the one to beat. And you've done it! <laughs> yes, 74 is commanding, actually. And I think a lot of us are going on the blurb and the, the concept there. I think it does need a bit of um, uh, reorganising there, Alan. But that's a prodigious number you've got, just with one more submission to go, which we'll see in a moment. Someone's got to say it. A lot of writing courses and seminars out there are horrifically overpriced. Litopia's writing seminars deliver practical knowledge you can use at an unbeatable price. Learning the tricks of the trade shouldn't cost a fortune. Litopia's writing seminars give you what you need to know without fleecing you. Right, here we go, submission number five, last submission of the day. Commanding score of 74 to beat. Let's see if Pamela Keeley-Gasman can do it. Children's Read 
Children's read to book. What does that mean? Children's read to book. Am I, am I being dense? Typically stupid, am I? Possibly. Ages five to eight. The Equiches of Maginaria. I'm glad that, that's hyphenated. I can say it. The Equiches of Maginaria. This is the blurb. What do you call someone? in pink leggings who pops up out of nowhere eats half your egg salad sandwich whispers they are on a secret mission jumps on a talking horse named poo i got it like that and gallops away a maginaria across the rainbow in the forests of maginaria they call her alessia with a stable of equiches magical creatures half witch half horse Ooh feel a concept coming on here uh, she must keep everyone on both sides of the rainbow safe not always easy but always adventurous it's her job she is the witch that watches I'll tell you about pamela i live in wexford ireland with 15 spanish mustangs 15 spanish mustangs that they would be horses not cars i'm guessing um many dogs and two cats who try to keep everyone organized i was born in kansas where my grandfather preserved the last of the mustangs his family once bred and sold along the santa fe trail amazing historic i grew up on horseback exploring the roads and rivers of western kansas where the cowboy drives from texas ended a hundred years before I began writing very young, thanks to a poet, my grandmother. Now, I write stories about the horses of the Crusaders, Conquistadors and Cowboys in the country my great-grandfather fled when he was 16. Sometimes here at Mustang Haven, I get glimpses of the Maginaires who flit in after the rain. Their bold equiches leave the Mustang manes tangled into dreadlocks. High concept of what? There's only one reader. It's got to be Jeff. Equitches of Maginaria by Pamela, read by Jeff. People think witches wear pointy black hats and buckle shoes. They don't. They wear things like pick up blue velvet coats over sugar pink leggings. They are not even human. They live on the other side of the rainbow in Magnaria. There is always trouble when human and Magnarian magic mix. So witches exist whose job is to watch the borders between the Worlds for trouble, sort of like human forest rangers do. Alicia is one of the witches that watch. This story is about a world so close to us, yet so far away. She lives in a high tower with an iron-railed stair that winds around and around to the top. A pole, made from corkscrew hazel tree, goes down the middle. Like a fireman, she slides down twistingly into a library. It's like looking at a candy store window to see all the brightly coloured books on the shelves. A secret door leads from the library to a stable for all the equitches that go on ventures with her. An equitch is a horse that is a witch, or a witch that is a horse. They can't quite make up their minds. By each door there is a horn engraved with a name. When she blows the horn, an equitch comes running, calling, Alicia, I'll be there as fast as I can, or curse that horn. If it is Star Fox who sometimes backtalks, he can be grumpy. Still, everyone knows he has a heart of gold. Seriously, it's gold clockwork. At this moment, Alicia is putting together a jigsaw puzzle in her tower. Just as she finds the last piece to the cowboy's hat, a bat flies into the tower. It lands as light as a feather onto her wrist. Mistress! The bat pouts. Emergency! It's out of breath from flying so fast. The elder witches, they say, come quickly. Bongo. What's the emergency? Lucia ties back her curly black hair, swirling the blue velvet coat around her. Bongo squeaks excitedly. It's complicated. There's a human child. Well, Magnaria, who stole it, thought it was, but now it's not. The bat's eyes cross in confusion. You'd better call Starfox and follow me. Starfox likes in the human world. Mingo's stone princess fell in love with little human girls and tried to bring them home with them. Not that little girls are usually minded. Shadow Dancer had come back thinking he was a dog. For a mission, Starfox was best. In the library, Alicia pulls the nose of a gargoyle on the side of a bookcase. The wall swings open. There is a smell of clean straw and clover hay. Bungo flies in front of her. Starfox waits beside his oaken stool door. We're wasting time! He stamps impatiently. The elders' council have their knickers in a twist. The quitch snorts at his own joke. 
Bongo does a barrel roll in the air, laughing. You crack me up, Star Fox. Star Fox is most of the colour of a grey cat in a grey mist. His black mane and tail are streaked with white like a vampire's. He tosses his forelock out of his eyes as he turns so Alicia can leap onto his back. It is all she needs to be ready. There isn't a bit or a saddle in the stable. Bongo grabs one of the long curls next to Alicia's ear with a tiny claw and holds on as Star Fox rears and speeds away. While they gallop towards the Council Rock, let me explain why they are in such a tizzy. Occasionally, Maganaires steal children. They aren't bad, but sometimes are thoughtless and selfish, like toddlers who don't like to share. When they do, someone from Magnanera gets popped over to take the stolen child's place. In their own world, witches can look any way they want. Tall, green, plump, blue-haired. They know each other by heart, so looks don't matter. You know, humans aren't so kind. This is why Star Fox, Bongo and Alicia are hurrying. If a human card is in Magnan area, then a witch may be lost on the wrong side of the rainbow. Maybe in a supermarket aisle, trying to talk to a can of beans with knickers on their head. I like that imagery. Let's see what the uh, genishloom is, is reporting. Um, yeah, so snap your title, people say, and they've, of course, being genii, they've actually got a, a title already. Um, and Johnny says, I like the witch that watches. Uh, Michelle says, the witch watcher. Um, Galadriel says, equiches make me think of quidditches. Yeah, I, I, there is that, that thing. And James says, yeah, the witch that watches. Nice hybrid idea, says Johnny. Witches and horses. It is. It's, it's a concept, isn't it? Let's go to our picture book publisher and see if it's a concept that uh, tickles her fancy. Okay, I'm not on mute. <laughs> um, I, the title, I'll start with the title. I really didn't like the title at all. Um, especially for that age group. Um, I just, yeah, it's just got to change, really. Um, so, five to eight, I just think it's far too complicated um, of a title for that age group. It's a bit of a mouthful, um, I, isn't I, it? Yeah, it yeah. is. Um, I'm also really kind of practicing reading at that age and starting to read. So, yeah. it's something. I was going to stop like them reading. <laughs> no, no more reading for me. I'm not going to read those words. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> um, I found the blurb too confusing and too descriptive. Um, and that was the kind of issue I had with the whole um, parts that we read. It, it was far too descriptive. I thought um, the idea was great. And I think with some tweaking and really cutting down, this could be really engaging for that age group. Different titles and cutting down, but it was just far too descriptive. Um, okay. I would assume kind of early reader, you'd have some pictures as well, some illustrations. So I don't think we need that much description. Yeah. Um, Annie says in the genius room, this might be good as a cartoon. I can totally see that, can't you? I mean, horses and witches. It's all right. It's a yep. no-brainer, really. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, Chris? Yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of the title either. Um, mm -hmm. The blurb, blurb was, wasn't good. It didn't hit me at all. It didn't strike me. Um, and I was very as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it, yeah it, it was. And I was very confused by the entire reading. I, I, I had a hard time following along um, because in the beginning it talked about the witches not being human but then i thought the witches were the horses and i thought the i just i couldn't like i couldn't follow it i had a very difficult yeah. time following where we were going because we we, we toggled back and forth between alicia and star fox and i i just didn't know who was what when they talked about the witches getting on horses so they go okay the witch, witches aren't the horses and I, I just yeah it was hard to follow it was very hard to follow okay oh, so maybe right. i just didn't understand all right yeah you got it i mean you've got to tell it like it is um, Star Fox, says Matt, uh, used to play that on the Nintendo. Really? Is that right? Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and Stacy's. Oh, Stacy's isn't. Not too sure how I feel about them falling in love with little girls and trying to bring them home with them. That's a good point. Yeah. I hadn't picked that up, but that is a good point, actually. A vagabond says, yeah, that could be a bit creepy. And that is true. And Matt says, final con con uh, comment up there. Uh, Matt says, too many characters being referenced. And I can see that. And I think we just need to maybe unfreeze the, the genius room there. So you can see that too. 
And let's see if Chris has put his numbers in. Nope. He's just about to. He's just about to. There we go. Attention is mounting. <laughs> is there, everyone's looking at you, Chris. I know, I know. <laughs> and let's see if we got a number in there from Ebony. No. Hey. Yes, they got. We got Ebony, and we've got Chris, and well, that means we got a total score of fifty, which can go up or down a little bit in the next minute or two. But guys, we're at the end of the show, so we should see um, what it looks like. Wow. I mean, I, I was perfectly prepared to press the button for you, Libby, and Casanova, and of course the duck. Oh, I love that concept. But no, it's not going to be, is it? It's actually going to be. Ella, who is... <laughs> 74? I say. My word. Egads. <laughs> Steady on, Peter. That's a, that's, a, that's a terrific score. Congratulations, Ella. Uh, I have to say, I do think you need a bit more work on that. I do think, but uh, we all like the concept, we like the motivation, and we're completely behind you on that, as you can see from the numbers. So, I'm sorry to say, guys, but the party is nearly over for this week. Hmm. Heartfelt thanks to Emily, and of course her team of narrators, Kate and Rachel, for booking such amazing guests, such as the two fabulous ones we've seen tonight, and a very big hug to, to Rachel, directly you'll know why. All the genii in the genius room, and of course, today's special guests, first timer Ebony, first timer Chris, hopefully not the last. Give us a like on YouTube, and we'll see you again next week. Hit it! Big boys play.